nasty political mudslinging, campaign attacks and counterattacks, personal insults, outrageous newspaper invective, dire predictions of warfare and national collapse, innovative new forms of politicking, uh, capitalizing on a growing technology. As much as this seems to describe our present-day presidential contest, it actually describes an election more than 200 years ago. Uh, it was it was the uh, presidential election of 1800. The presidential election of 1800 was an angry, dirty, crisis-ridden contest that seemed to threaten the nation's very survival. A bitter, uh, excuse me, a bitter partisan battle between Federalist John Adams and Republican uh, Democrat Republican Thomas Jefferson. It produced a tie between Jefferson and his Republic, uh, Democratic Republican running mate Aaron Burr, a deadlock in the House where the tie had to be broken, an outburst of intrigue and suspicion as Federalists struggled to determine a course of action. Jefferson's election and Burr's eventual downfall, the unfolding of this crisis tested the new nation's durability. The deadlock in the House revealed a constitutional defect which gave us the 12th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Uh, it also push partisan rivalry to an extreme, inspiring a host of creative and far-reaching electoral ploys. As a sense of crisis built, there was even talk of disunion and civil war, and indeed two states began to organize their militias to seize the government if Jefferson did not prevail. Kind of sounds familiar today? And it was Abraham Lincoln that said that was the first time in the history of the world that ballots uh, decided an outcome and not bullets. And it was one of the greatest tests, and it pitted Jefferson against Adams, and the invective was so brutal that they were were furious with one another, and their friendship was tested as founders, and they later were reconciled at the end of their lives, Jefferson being younger than Adams. Adams, up until Reagan and then Ford, were the longest or the oldest surviving presidents in the history of the United States. Adams lived to 92 or 93. Reagan beat him by a couple of months, and Ford beat Reagan by a couple of months before he passed. But what's fascinating about Jefferson and Adams, the bitter bitter rivalry in the election of 1800, is that the two men died on the same day, 50 years, celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, they both died on July 4th, the 50th anniversary. So 76, 18, what? 26, 1826. Isn't that fascinating? And they, and they were both concerned with one another and, and their well-being. And they were reconciled at the end. Um, and, and so we're going to take a look at this uh, and, and how it affected the United States. And we're going to look at Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution this evening. Um, here you had John Adams, the Federalist. It actually destroyed the Federalist Party as a result of Adams's loss. It was actually a Federalist that turned the tide of the election. I forget his name, but he was from Delaware. And he actually voted in opposition to his party because he wanted to keep the union together. Um, the idea, the way that they were pitted in this election is the rule by the wealthy class, strong federal government, emphasis on manufacturing, uh, loose interpretation of the Constitution, British alliance, and then Thomas Jefferson, the Democratic Republicans, uh, ruled by the people, strong state governments, emphasis on agriculture, strict interpretation of the Constitution, and French alliance. And so there was much more to it. Uh, they had declared Je- uh, Jefferson to be an atheist. Um, 
uh, Hamilton went after Adams and and uh, spoke of him as being uh, an elitist and and the vitriol and the press. I mean, it made it made uh, the the issue with with Clinton and Trump seem like nothing. He really, if you go back in history, and this actually almost destroyed the nation. So don't think we haven't been here before. Calm down. Take a deep breath. We're going to be all right. Um, and, and here is kind of a breakdown, and you can do your own homework on this. Before the ratification of the 12th Amendment in 1804, each elector cast votes for two different candidates. The candidate with the highest number of votes became president, while the candidate with the second highest total became vice president. And you can just see that it was completely even all the way through uh, because uh, they, they, they looked at the, the folks that were running on each of these parties, and it was Jefferson and Burr, and they both hated each other. And then it goes to Adams and Pickney, and it went back and forth, um, and he was finally elected. Um, it went to the, to the House. Uh, I think, gosh, I want to say there was over 30 different votes. I don't even remember off the top of my head, and it's not listed there, but a number of votes that occurred until they finally came to a resolution, and they had to put in the 12th Amendment uh, to resolve this. And I want to look at this because I know this is hard to stomach and hard to handle, but the, the, the concept between the Federalists and the, and the, uh, the Republican Democrats, or uh, the idea was Jefferson wanted states' rights. He, the Federalists were looking at this idea of... Um, a stronger federal government, and they interpreted Article One, Section Eight differently than than Jefferson did. And Madison actually argued with Hamilton. Madison argued with Hamilton, and James Madison basically said, "Article One, Section Eight is very clear. It's limited federal government. As a matter of fact, it's one of the most poorly written." He said, "Poorly written." Uh, aspects of the U.S. Constitution, and it isn't there in Article One, Section 8 to give unlimited powers to the federal government. Those powers are listed very clearly, and they gave a list. Hamilton said, no, it says it were to provide for the common welfare. That's a general statement, and we can do anything we want at the federal level. Now, that being said, you, you've heard Reagan's comment uh, that he used in the 1964 speech, Time for Choosing. And he said he mocked the statement to bring the full weight of the federal government to bear upon this problem. Have you ever heard any of our politicians say that? We have a pandemic or an epidemic. Well, let's look at thalidomide babies. Thalidomide babies. You know, this is, this is a fascinating concept because if we, if we do the, the contrast between Jefferson and Adams, and you look at Federalists as opposed to this uh, de- Democrat-Republican mindset with states' rights, limited federal government, and you look at the Federalists with an increase in power with this general welfare. Thalidomide babies. Thalidomide was a drug that was prescribed for morning sickness to women. It was actually invented in Germany in the 50s. And uh, it was made legal uh, throughout Europe. And they wanted to bring it to the United States. Uh, SmithKline, Glaxow, uh, they, they wanted to, to bring it to the United States. And, and I, uh, look at this. The FDA refused to approve thalidomide for marketing and distribution. So there were only 17 thalidomide babies born in the U.S. versus 10,000 plus born in Europe. FDA, Federal Drug Administration. You know, and, and we look at these administrations, you look at the ATF, FDA, EPA. I mean, we don't want the Grand Canyon filled with sewage, do we? We don't want more thalidomide babies, do we? 
So how many people think we need the FDA? Please raise your hand. Okay, so you would be considered loose constructionists. No, I'm dead serious. If you think we need the FDA, you're a loose constructionist. Uh, let me show you. Let me show you Article Article One, Section Eight. The Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excise to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. But all duties, imposts, and excise shall be uniform throughout the United States. And goes on to list a myriad of different things that the government can do. And, and that list was below this concept of the general welfare of the United States. And Madison said this was a poorly written segment of the Constitution, and it, it upset him. And Hamilton said, no, they meant exactly what they wrote for the general welfare. And so when we bring, think about this, we bring the full weight of the federal government to bear. We only have 17 thalidomide babies as opposed to 10,000. We have the uh, homeland, sec- homeland Security. I got to enjoy them <laughs> while I traveled. And they're so effective, aren't they? But, but the minute there's a problem, what do we seek? We seek a solution to that problem. We want, and, and listen, we're in a day and age where we, 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 we have this ability. And we look at Google and we look at all these high tech companies and the innovations of science and technology. And, and yet you look at this. Madison versus Hamilton, Article 1, Section 8. Madison said the article was badly written. Federal powers are limited. Hamilton, we can do way more at the federal level. And Madison countered, then why do we have a list? And they argued this debate. I printed it out. I'll give you a copy of it uh, next week if you remind me. And um, but just tell me who wants it, and I'll make a copy of it, because I don't want to make a ton of copies. Um, so, so with this, this idea, the transformation of the federal government and, and where we are based on this election of 1800, because the United States spoke in 1800. 1861, it was Lincoln or, uh, who, who commented that that election was pivotal in the United States of America, and the Constitution survived not only then, but survived the Civil War. And this Constitution, remember, we've studied the Constitution. It is, it is this idea of a statute, yes, an immovable object to be protected, well, now we have this, this concept, the transformation of the federal government. For the first 150 years of the United States, the, the, the government constituted about 10% of our economy. 10%. Today, it's over 50%. So you look at the transformation of the federal government, you have regulation, regulatory agencies, and we just covered the uh, FDA, the ATF, you've got the EPA. Can anyone list any others? USDA. USDA, there's another one. We don't want rotten meat, do we, Tom? And we love it when it says prime, don't we? <laughs> Labor, education. I mean, we can go, right? Yeah. And so let's look at these regulatory agencies. They, they, they make most of the laws today. They make most of the laws today. Congress still makes the same number of laws. It's these regulatory agencies that make the lion's share of the laws that we are under today. They enforce those laws. You have ATF come to your door, you're in trouble, right? If the, if the EPA or the FDA cites you, you can lose your property with the EPA, yes? These regulatory agencies not only make the laws, they enforce those laws, and they adjudicate disputes concerning those laws. So what does that look like to you? 
What does this look like to you? They make most laws of the day, they enforce those laws, and they adjudicate disputes concerning those laws. What does that look like to you? Legislative, executive, judicial. And what did you say? Oh, they're sovereign. It's all in their hand, isn't it? I'm sorry, who's supposed to be the sovereign? (laughs) Me. (laughs) Thank you, King. We're supposed to be the sovereign. And and what did our founders want to do with the sovereign to make sure that there wasn't a problem? Keep the sovereign out of the government. What's the problem here? The sovereign now holds all levels, all branches of the government. Anybody have a problem with that? But do we want to get rid of the FDA? You raise your hand. Do we want thalidomide babies? I'm sorry? Limit the power? Limit the power? Uh, there's a number of things we can do, but, but this, is where, this is where we struggle and most of our young people struggle because this is, these agencies now carry all three branches of the government in one single hand, executive, legislative, judicial, and this is the progressive problem. How many people heard the word progressive? Progressivism? Does anyone know who kind of started the movement? Woodrow Wilson was one of them. Anyone ever go to a library? Did you ever use the Dewey Decimal System? John Dewey? He he was he's a progressive. Woodrow Wilson? FDR, yeah. They were all progressives. And this idea of progressives is this this concept I said earlier, the full power of the federal government to bear. We have the ability and the means to protect our citizens from thalidomide, from pollution. We can bring the full weight of the federal government to bear upon this problem. Terrorism. We're all scared. We need to to have building codes uniform across the country. Earthquake preparedness, water purity. Thomas Jefferson said, let the states do it. John Adams said, no, federal power. Hamilton said, federal power, general welfare. It's very clear. But our founders, Madison, operating in that context, said poorly written, and there's a list, and he debated that. And here we are today, and, and a lot of you are loose constructionists. You, you raised your hand saying you think these regulatory agencies are necessary. Some of you are employed by them. I mean, 50%, more than 50% of our economy is civil servants, government jobs. There's 3 million federal employees, about 23 million just state and local government employees. If you're police or fire or you're... You know, I, I'm, I would be considered an employee of the city. So I'm a civil employee. <laughs> I wish they'd pay me more. <laughs> so, so this is the progressive problem, and what is it? Let me show you. The Declaration of Independence, they say, is obsolete. John Dewey pointed this out. It was good for its time, but it's outdated. They said it was made for an agrarian culture, for farmers, and that it doesn't fit the mold for today. And... Um, and and his idea was that that it needs it it needs to be changed. It's outdated. 
right? When in the course of human events, what does that mean? Anytime. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for any people. Is it, is it only for an agrarian culture in 1787, or is it for a techno-savvy culture in 2017? you got to work with me because I am, I am, I'm, I'm seeing things right now. I'm so tired. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it appropriate for a techno-savvy culture in 2017, or is it outdated? <laughs> then why do we have 50%, over 50% of our economy driven? How has the federal government grown? But, it, but it's this concept of FDA, EPA, right? This growth of these agencies that have taken the sovereignty out of the hands of the people, placed it into regulatory agencies, and we become minuscule and irrelevant. And it's a progressive movement the full weight of the federal government to bear upon this problem. And every president, something happens, and we had George Bush. He said, I'm going to create the Homeland Security Department. What a blessing that has been for all of us. I mean, 80% on the test, just people walk through with weapons. They have no clue. I, I was over in Israel. They are so sharp. You walk up, they already know who you are. They know everything about you, and they profile. So we... We just play every game and we appeal to every single person, but it's progressivism. It's this idea that, that, that we, can, we can accomplish something if we just work together and use the federal government and all of our general resources to do it and create these agencies and put all the branches of government into their hands and we can get stuff done right away. And it was, it was uh, Ben Franklin said, he who would give up his, secu- uh, his freedom for security deserves neither. So we start to lose this, and we give away our sovereignty. And, and here's, the, here's the thing. The progressives, John Dewey and, and Woodrow Wilson and FDR, uh, have you ever heard of the Constitution Reader? It's written by these guys. The people who hate the Constitution, they write the reader, so all the students have to read it. And they're saying the world is changing, and so do the laws of the land. Uh, Their idea is, this progressive mindset is, we have the ability, if we get together communally, to stop cancer in the world today. How many of us would love to see cancer go away? (laughs) I would. My mom would still be alive. How about getting rid of birth defects? Isn't that good? Anybody disagree with that? Stephen Hawking says that, that mankind in 200 years will be completely different as we work together. In the human race, babies will be smarter and faster and stronger. We're going to be a new breed of people. Hmm. Old ideas, the Federalists said that um, the Constitution, in a sense, we need strong federal government. And, and yet they do this balance where they had a bias. They believed that man was good and evil, but they, they wrote the Constitution in bias of the better nature of man, the, the laws of nature and nature's God. But they wanted to protect the individual. So it's this delicate balance. And they wanted to keep the sovereignty from power, right? And that we're all created equal. But now as we move into this progressive mindset, do the principles 
in the Constitution still apply today? Well, look at this. If it's false now, it had to be false then. If it, is, if it was true then, it must be true now. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by the greater with certain inalienable rights. If it was, if it was true then, it's true now, true now. If it wasn't true then, or if it's not true now, it wasn't true then. John Dewey said it was a very good document for its time. No, that's like saying Jesus Christ is a good man, but he's not God. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. And, and John Dewey can't dismiss it by saying that, that, that it was good then, but it isn't good now. And as we look at this, every one of these folks are well-meaning. Anyone who works for the FDA, the EPA, the whatever, they're well-meaning. Everybody wants to fix a problem. That's why they stepped in to do something. Yes? But what's kind of but what's the problem what's the problem with mankind that our founders understood? I'm sorry? We're flawed. You somebody sent over here? Selfish. Huh? Sin nature. Now we're getting theological, but you're correct. And so what did they want to do? They wanted to create a document understanding that we're not angels. Angels don't govern, man does. We have dominion. We also have a side that's got to be put in check, right? But they wanted to bias towards the good. And they figured we still want to make man sovereign, but we want to separate him from the power of the government to occupy that position of government. You tracking me so far? So what's happening now with this FDA, people step into it. They're well-intentioned. They're well-meaning. But they're not angels, and they will abuse that power. Has anyone ever been in a lawsuit with state or federal government? Was it pleasant? And, and did you have the resources to defend yourself? The, um, I don't even know what the commission's called. It's the Fair Campaign Election something or other. They've made running for office literally a, a crime. I have to fill out a form. I've got to list all my finances. Uh, they scrutinize me. They, they tried to, you know, come after me uh, for a contribution that someone made, a duplicated another contribution, but they'd made it out of their business. And we sent the check back. We did everything we were supposed to do. We did it within 24 hours. And I had to go before. I had to pay somebody to do it. It was unbelievable what it cost to run for office. And it is a state agency. And then when they decided who's going to be on the ballot, it was supposed to be decided, you know, arbitrary, just, you know, from a, a, a pick, it came out, it was published, I was going to be at the top of the ballot, which constitutes 10% extra votes just being at the top of the ballot, I had it, and all of a sudden, by a, a whim, some state fiat, they switched it, and I was put down. And, and I called to inquire, nobody had any answers. And, and, you know, and I've, I've seen what you go through. And, and the, the full weight of the federal government and the full, a government big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take everything you have. The larger the government, the smaller the citizen. And so um, for John Dewey to say that, that it was an excellent principle for their time, but not needed now, this is a problem because humans tend to dominate one another. But look, look at this pandemic, starvation, epidemic, this is where we need the government and the full weight of the government to help us. And Reagan mocked this phrase in his 1964 time for choosing when he said, bring the full 
power of the federal government to bear on this national problem. Why do you think he mocked it? Do you ever remember him saying that uh, they say that government is the answer to the problem? It isn't. It is the problem. He understood regulatory agencies. He understood this concept. He understood the individual. He understood the freedom that, that, that we, we, we long to have and what makes America unique. He, he was a student of the U.S. Constitution. If you ever read a book called The Educating of Ronald Reagan, he worked for General Electric. And uh, what they did is they hired uh, Ronald Reagan to be their spokesperson uh, to talk about um, um, capitalistic ideal, uh, ideas to offset the union for General Electric. So he would go into towns, and they got this B-rated actor who had a really good-looking face and who was articulate, and he would go in and he would speak about capitalism, how important it was, and he would speak to these families of the of the General Electric employees, the husbands, their wives, and, and he would put on these times and they'd come out to see him, they'd get his autograph. Brilliant. Well, the the CEO of, of General Electric, whose name escapes me right now, would give him the information to read, and Ronald Reagan said he got his MBA while reading these things. And and he would put these things together. And I was with Newt Gingrich. I was a fly in the wall in a room of five people. It was Newt Gingrich, uh, Rick. Um, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You, he, he, he's a speechwriter. He also does something with CNN. Rick, it's slipping me right now. I know him, but I'll come up with it. And it was two other people and myself. And I remember asking Newt Gingrich, who speaks extemporaneously and uses dates, times, details. He's one of the best. He's, an, he's a marvelous professor. He taught, he, he taught history in, in Georgia uh, at the co- collegiate level. And I asked him, I said, Newt, how, how, do you, how do you do your speeches? I mean, where did you come up with this concept? And he said, you know, it's fascinating that you asked me that. And he said, and, and you're going to be kind of surprised at the answer. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. He said, I, I was a freshman congressman from Georgia. And I was in the airport and I saw Ronald Reagan. And he was traveling the country with General Electric, and he was putting speeches together. He was there. He, no, people don't know this, but he had Coke bottle thick glasses. And he had just given his, 19, or his, his speech at the Republican National Convention. And they called him the great communicator, not the 64 speech, but the, the other one they did at the, at the convention after he'd lost to Ford. And he said, how do you do your speeches? You're such a good you know, speaker. He said, well... I have five by seven cards and I put them together with interesting details that I've accumulated over time. And I put them and categorize them because back then they didn't have computers. And he said, if I'm asked to speak at a location, I pull out relevant cards on the topic that I've kept up to date with. He was a voracious reader. And he says, and I take them and I sit in the airport on downtime and I just familiarize myself with them. And, and as we get closer, and I start to understand more, but I pull some cards out and add some in. And I want to make it concise depending on how long the speech is. And I'm aware of it. And he says, nah. And I just keep reviewing those until it's time. And then he said, when I get up to the podium with these cards, I turn them upside down and I mix them all up. And then I put them together upside down. And I, I begin my speech and I turn the card over. Not knowing what the next card is going to be. And it creates the tension in the audience to draw them in not knowing. And so that's typically why I don't use notes. I got that from him. Because the tension of going from one segment to the next, it draws the audience in, and it's fresh like it was the first time he gave it. It made him the great communicator. 
But as he started to do these principles and teach them across the country, he got his MBA and his master's in business administration and started to understand these principles of how the Constitution operates and what capitalism is all about and how it is a fascinating vehicle for Western civilization that has transformed the world as we know it today. But, but what he did is he mocked this in his 1964 speech, A Time for Choosing, to bring the full power of the federal government to bear on this national problem. And, and, and you think about this, John Dewey, Woodrow Wilson, FDR. Another thing interesting about those three, they were all eugenicists. Do you know what that is? It's this idea that we can have a superior race. Margaret Sanger, Planned Parenthood, eugenicist. It was really big in the turn of the century, 1900s, 2000. Adolf Hitler was a eugenicist, yes. I'm sorry? I don't know that, but I, I'm going to take your word for it, and that's pretty cool. But you, you look at this, not cool, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, you, you look at this, and they were all eugenicists. And, and, and their idea was, you know who else was a eugenicist, slightly? Winston Churchill. Yeah. The concept was we can remove the inferior aspects of humanity, those that are retarded or, um, you know, they would call it imbecile or moronic, and they wanted to remove it because it's a drain, and we want to have a superior race, so we just, we won't kill them, we'll just remove their ability to breed, so we'll sterilize. It actually took off in the United States, uh, uh, almost 60,000 people were sterilized. And you know who led the country 10%? What state led the country in the sterilization? Texas. California. 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 We are the progressive state. We've always been a progressive state. And with this idea, when you, look at, when you look at John Dewey and Woodrow Wilson, FDR, Margaret Sanger, and, and these folks that have this grand vision of the future that we can use the full power to accomplish these things, uh, one in particular, especially as you look at Stephen Hawking and his idea that that we're going to be able to transform the human race. And, 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 and think about it, through science and technology and the full weight of the federal government to expedite this, and we're all working together for a common cause, our babies can be healthier, they can be smarter, they can be faster, they can be stronger. And so we approve this, and we take the sovereignty out of the hands of the people, we put it into these administrations where they're the executive, legislative, and judicial branch. And the progressive movement is the whole idea. Now, here's the problem. They say, we will take control because we're going to make everything better. Well, that's good. But my question is, what do you mean by better? Because I just spent time with one of the most precious couples, Kurt and Tambre Adams. And you girls, you, you, you folks have seen their little girl, Katie. And, and she's special needs. She's in the front row, usually second service. And when there's worship, she, she's singing her heart out. But we're going to make things better. So let's sterilize her. And Down's children, let's, let's do that. They're, they're doing it in Europe. Let's, let's, I mean, has anyone ever known anyone who's had a Down syndrome child or maybe precious? One of the most amazing gifts to society. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are what? Endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. 
progressives would say, we're going to make it better. This is outdated. But if it wasn't true then, it's not true now. If it was true then, it's true now. What is the purpose of a constitution in a movable structure that survived 241 years? And we want to bypass that to make humanity better. And our children will be faster, healthier, and stronger. Zekiel. I just got back from Israel. Everybody wants to wipe them off the face of the earth. I had a conversation with Yuval, served in the IDF. He was our guide. I love this man. We've had great times together. I'm actually going to have him come out here and you'll get a chance to meet him. Amazing guy. He couldn't understand our Second Amendment fervor over the right to bear arms. He said, in all the shootings in America, I said, Yuval, when we're on this bus ride, you're telling us all the information about Israel that the news doesn't report. He says, yeah. I said, is the news accurate? He says, no. I said, everything you're spouting back to me is completely out of context and not reported correctly. And I took him through everything we've learned in this concept of, of this idea of our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, the preamble of the Constitution that makes us sovereign, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment. I took him through each of these, and he started to grasp. He said, that is a fascinating document. Why hasn't anyone else ever told me about this? I said, because most of our citizens know nothing about it. We've bought this idea that we're going to be bigger, faster, and better. And we've given up on this archaic document to the point we don't even want our children to know anymore. He says, that's sad. I said, you know what's worse? He goes, what's that? I said, if we don't change, we're not going to be here to, be, to help Israel. He goes, don't worry. Israel will help you. I said, you know why you can have liberals and conservatives in Israel struggling over this idea of progressivism as opposed to individual rights and freedoms? I said, because you have a common enemy. You're surrounded by them. And when the, when the most liberal enclave in, in Israel, which is Tel Aviv, when the rockets start landing, everybody says, let's save Israel. We don't have that in the United States. We're pitted against one another. And we create all these segments and we destroy the foundation and the fabric and, and the structure that unites us all and everyone is ignorant in relation to it. And so we have a decline in, in, in what is America. And, and our conversations were so fruitful and so engaging. And he grasped it. He grasped it. But I told him, I said, you talk about Israel being a place of life. I said, you want to know the nation that has the highest abortion rate of any democracy? And, and I, I, I speak in regards to a vote. It's Israel. An IDF soldier, a woman, is allowed two abortions paid for by the government. I said, you're killing your own people. Literally, you're going to end up killing more, more of your people than Hitler did. He said, I know. But where do we get the value of life? Is it a Down syndrome? Is it Katie? Is it a baby in the womb? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator with inalienable rights, among those being life. Why did they start with life? Because liberty and the pursuit of happiness are of scarce little value if you can't live. 
And the safest place in America should be the womb of a mother. Now, don't, uh, if you want to argue with me about rape and incest, I'll concede that. And that's less than 1% of 1% of all abortions. Health of the mother, I'll concede that. That's less than 3%. Let's talk about the 97%. Well, and, and, and I'll close with this. The cry of Planned Parenthood and the progressive movement of the time was, a world of wanted babies would make a world of difference. I remember this. I was young. A world of wanted babies will make a world of difference because at the time in America, there were a hundred, uh, over 100,000 child abuse cases in America. And they said this was, it's unwanted children and it's awful. And so 1973, Roe v. Wade, we're now well over 40 years into this. And we've had 40 years of wanted children a world of wanted children make a world of difference. We've had, we've had over 40 years of wanted children. So what's the, what's the, what's the abuse rate now? It's still 100,000, but it's not a year. It's a week. It's the conscience of the nation. And when you put supreme power in the hands of someone who now decides to be God and make you bigger, faster, and better, there you go. We've covered this. And this was the election of 1800. This is a concept of a big federal government as opposed to this balance that we've been given by our constitution and what we're battling for today. And as caustic as that election was in 1800 and as as caustic as it is now, it's still worth fighting for. And it's now time for question and answer. And I'll do my best with, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because endowed by our creator, you're absolutely right. Uh, part of the progressive movement is to remove God from the equation. Although Woodrow Wilson, to his credit, was quote unquote a believer, uh, trained at Princeton, uh, considered going into the ministry. But the concept is the, the further you go down the progressive line, God is more of a standard just to, as, as Mark said, just to pacify the people, I think is a term he used. Um, and, and what Hitler did with the church in Nazi Germany is he just basically sat them down and said, you know, I'm going to take care of your pensions. I'm going to take care of your buildings. I'm going to take care of everything for you. And you don't have anything to worry about if I become the, the Fuhrer. And it was, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Niemöller who said in this gathering of clergy, they said, but what about the soul of Germany? And Hitler said, leave the soul to me. And one of the last edicts of Adolf Hitler before he shot himself, uh, Ava Braun and himself in the bunker, is that he made sure that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was killed. And this was a this was a Christian minister who actively worked to assassinate Adolf Hitler and worked underground. Read his cost of discipleship is a fascinating one of the few folks that after the end of the war that that the world still had a heart for Germans because of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It, it kind of changed that. It was amazing. His funeral was well attended in England, posthumously. Well, always is for a funeral. Um, any other questions on this? Yes. You got to be louder. I'm, I'm, I'm tired and you're distant.
term limits? My, the question is, what is my opinion on term limits to the Congress? Um, I, I told this to Brett, quite honestly, I think, I, I think there's term limits every election. And we need to exercise them. But you, if, in, in the state legislature, I'll give you an example, and I've said this before, in the state legislature, they have term limits. And as a result of term limits, the assembly members don't run the government. The state employees do that end up taking the office and pushing the bills forward and giving it to the next mule that comes in is elected. They don't have time to build relationships. And we think term limits is the answer and it's the solution. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I think it's written in the constitution. Um, you know, so that's, that's my thought. If people keep reelecting them, that's who they want. I think we can have campaign aspects that would be helpful, but that's for another time. Any other questions? Yes. I, I, I give accounting on every penny. Yeah, get, it, it, there's other people want to ask questions. So, get what do you, you do? So, campaign contributions. Oh, okay. Perfect. Well, we've covered it in previous segments, so I'll do it real quick for you. Uh, separation of church and state. There is a separation of church and state. It's to keep the state out of the church, not the church out of the state. Uh, there was never, it, Congress shall make no law hindering the free exercise of religion. It's very simple. And, and as a quote, the Danbury Baptist Convention letter that Jefferson made, it, 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 it's the exact opposite in context of what they're using it for. So there's nothing in the founders, first 10 years in the congressional record, nothing about separation of church and state. So that is a move by the progressives to remove any sort of, of godly influence in the culture today and to shut down the voice of the people, which should be a voice of morality, because only immoral people can run a, a, a republic. Yeah, they flipped it. So the second aspect you asked was um, any concept or any ideas in relation to uh, political contributions that would save the system itself. Um, you know, as, as, as I run for office, I remember running for the state assembly. And, and one of the greatest struggles is government unions. So I ran and, as I'm, and they, they have a thing called the third house. So you have the, the, the Senate, the Assembly, and then they call it the Third House. The Third House would be all these organizations in Sacramento, lobbyist groups that, that elect representatives, and you go and you, you lobby them to try to get them to give campaign contributions so the candidates can get way more money because they've limited personal contributions, which is ridiculous. I mean, think about it. John F. Kennedy won with 80% of his contributions coming from 11 people. And, and if an individual has the money and they want to spend it, I personally think they should be able to spend it. But when I have to go and appeal 
to entities in Sacramento that have the ear of every one of the, and they're going to own you. And so I'm up there, you know, sir, can I get a, and I got to walk through each of the lobbying rooms, sir, do you, yeah, ma'am. And I have to listen to their spiel. And meanwhile, I get a contribution here and a contribution there. And every time I look at my opponent, 4,800, 4,800, 4,800, 4,800. And every government union just pouring in. I would be on the phones day in and day out. And, and there's some people, I wish I could give you more. I'm limited. I can't. And if, boy, if I step over that, they're on me. So I think personal contributions, no limit. I think corporate contributions, limit. Because you ever run an election? <laughs> Do you know how expensive it is? I've run for office. It's ridiculous. But how do we communicate? How do we do this? And, and why, why would we limit the free, the free opportunity to do that? Huh? I, and I do that also. And I, Tom, how many calls do you make for me? How many of you made 35,000 calls for me? <laughs> he did. But where'd you get the phone system, Tom? From my contributions. Right. So th- there's, there's aspects to it. I mean, I, 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 if, if you got a better system, I'm, I'm interested in hearing it. But... Well, you know what? I, excuse me. I won the election. I won the election and I spent the least amount of money per vote. By 7-1, yeah. Because I did this. But it takes a lot of work. And you know why I lost to Jackie? <coughs> Republicans in Thousand Oaks didn't show up. And didn't matter how many people, we, oh, we'll, we'll come and vote. They didn't. Most Christians don't vote. So it's, it's a lot of work. Get yeah, back here. Oh, wait, I, I didn't want to skip over here and then back there. Yes. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. It, does history repeat itself? How can progressives see that? Well, let, let's look at the Bolshevik Revolution, Revolution, 100-year anniversary. And, and, you know, the Iron Curtain comes down, and what's the first thing that the Western world wants to do? Go to socialism. B- blows my mind. Fourth largest economy in the Western Hemisphere, Venezuela. What are we going to do? Socialism. Blows my mind. They, they can't make their payments. They've missed their grace period. Their people are eating dirt. Their, their teenagers are prostituting themselves. And they just flushed it. So, no. No. We're dumber than a box of rocks. We don't get it. So, there's the answer to your question. Back here and then here. And then I'll come over here. Yes. The, regula- the, the, the alternative to regulatory agencies would require a lot of work, but they must, they, any, any, they can put forward a prospectus to the legislature to vote. They can give recommendations. They can enact laws. They can enact, enact regulations without legislative vote. I don't know. When the government shuts down, we, it's, life went normal, didn't it? <laughs> I think we can do without quite a few. I think you can get rid of them and we wouldn't even miss them. 
And that's one of the things President Trump has done. Let me go over here and I'll come back over there. Here, yes. No, I said we, people. Yeah, we, we, we love this. The question is, uh, are progressives idiotic or more grandiose? Um, and, and I didn't impugn all progressives. I think every person is well-intentioned, just poorly informed. Um, and, and with this idea of grandiose, we all love this idea of a utopian society. And I'll tell you where socialism and communism really works. It's in a classroom. Because it just seems so neat on paper. But, but missing all the concepts of human nature and going deeper in the studies. And the only place that these, these communists and socialists can survive is in a system that is supported by capitalistic industry. And, and they think it works. So intellectually, it, it's, it's, it's simple and it's easier. It's like a bumper sticker. And they do believe in this utopian society. But history proves it never works. Um, over here, back here, yeah. yeah Rob, just going back to the separation of church and state, uh-huh. that question. So we've lost that ground because the Supreme Court now makes decisions at this Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Education of the people. Start to demand it. You have what you have because we've done what we've done. Our apathy and, and we'd rather complain than, than participate and articulate. And, uh, you know, this isn't easy for me. This is a lot of work. And, and life would be a lot simpler if I didn't run for office. Life would be a lot easier if I didn't have to fly back for a city council meeting to talk about marijuana. It really would be easier. I would rather sit in my Barca lounger and complain about the status and the condition of the nation than do anything about it. This is, this is hard work, but I'm doing this so you do hard work. This is so you can sit here and just absorb and go, wow, it's really cool. That's not why I do what I do. There, there's, there was a school board meeting last night, and I, and I was grateful that it was standing room only and you couldn't get in there. And it was, it, that school board was four to one progressive to conservative, and it's now three to two, and they passed parental notification. What a battle. And most folks couldn't name the five members of the school board. Yet they can complain till, till you know, the sun sets. Do something. If, if, if not national, just do it right here. Throw your stinking starfish back. Do it right here. So that, yeah, I'm passionate about that. Uh, go ahead. Progressive socialism and communism, the same thing, right? And I would add fascism. Because you have autonomy, theonomy, and heteronomy. Yeah, they all fall in the category of God says, man says. Yeah. And here? Yeah. 
More than 60% of the Planned Parenthoods are in ethnic communities for the sole purpose of getting rid of the inferior races. That was her whole purpose. You read about her and they give the Maggie Awards and they celebrate her. And, and it doesn't take a lot of research to figure out who this person is. You just, you just click on it and it'll bring all of that up. It's, it's a sordid past, but it's amazing how we elevate them into status symbol. Back here, was there any questions? No. Oh, sorry. Yes. Say that again is the Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, uh Reagan pointed out in his speech in 64 that the the government promises to make it better, uh, that they're the solution to the problem, but they're not the solution to the problem. They are the problem. And he covered that in his time for choosing speech. So you're absolutely right. And um, four minutes, question, not comments. So go ahead. Yes. I was going to say the same. Quite a night yesterday. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Aaron Starr told me that. That's pretty cool. That's excellent. Yes. All right, well, let me, let me just, let me say, I, I have no doubt that some of the regulations that the EPA does are good. I, there's no question on that. The question is, do they have the authority to have the executive, legislative, and judicial powers as the sovereign to make those decisions, or do we have a constitution? Are you a loose constructionist or are you a strict constructionist? And, and that's where we have to come to terms with. I agree. They do some really good things, and they do some really bad things. But the solution, the solution is, the solution is, I personally think, states' rights. Yeah. Let us decide as people. Push the government down. Uh, yes. I'll give you an example. You were talking about EPA, and, and if, if you are on the wrong side of a lawsuit with the EPA, good luck because they've got the full weight of the federal government to come down upon you, and you lose your property, and you got wetlands, and you did all that stuff or whatever. I'm just throwing things out there. So let's look at it this way. Local government. Who's standing in front of you right now? A councilman. You, you, you can have a conversation with me. I'd prefer you not. I'm tired, but you... you we, <laughs> We have this conversation and folks have asked me and they said, hey, can you help me with this? And I've helped them, right? We push it down. We have connectivity. We're local. Now the state's taking away our authority. They just taxed our citizenry about $50 million. They're going to give us $3 million back or $4 million back. That, that's SB1. We didn't get to vote on it. The gas bill, 12 cents, November. And, and, and they're, they're taking, they're usurping all of the lo- local authority. 
And then the federal government's taking all the state authority and they're centralizing it because they have administrations, 50% growth. And we all agree we want better. We love clean air, don't we? But do we want to give them executive, legislative, and judicial power and put it in one hand? They weren't supposed to have it, and they're still not supposed to have it. And we're going to close with this last question one minute. So just on that point that you just said, Yep. so what if we took that decision, let's say an EPA decision that we achieved, and put it in open hands locally? That would yeah, we all decide locally. Which would be better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Really on something. Over the last couple of years on social media, I've seen a lot about people bringing together these conventions of state. Yeah. Article 5. Lower the power of the federal government to exercise state. Is this for real? Is this going to happen? Is there progress being made? The idea is you can change the U.S. Constitution amendments by a vote of the legislatures uh, of the states. Um, we'll cover that in uh, Article 5. Um, I, I, it's possible, but I, I think there's... I, I personally think it's a waste of energy. I think we could focus on things like this far more effectively. I, I think it's one of those things where we want the silver bullet and we think that's it, but really, you know what it is? It's hard work. It's taken us 40 years of apathy to get where we are. I think we have to roll up our sleeves and get our butts in gear. So, All right, God bless you guys.